get ready to get in the Word this morning. We're going to uh, jump back into our series called Pagah. Um, if you've not been here for this, I'll explain what that means here in just a minute. But I want to I want to uh, just pray one more time as we get ready to get in the Word. So, Father, we come to you this morning thankful for your Word, thankful for your Holy Spirit, thankful for your presence in this room. Uh, and once again, I pray, I know I already prayed this, but I want to pray one more time, Father, this morning. That, that every distraction that may uh, try to get in our brain, get us thinking about lunch after church or anything else, Lord, that all of those distractions would be stopped and pushed to the side and that we would have our hearts and our minds open to you to receive from your word this morning uh, because we do want to become more effective in our prayer lives, Father. And we just pray you would help us to do that this morning. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give you my bottom line. First of all, you guys ready to get in the Word? Okay, good, good. Just wanted to make sure. Um, I want to give you my bottom line, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit about what this means uh, for those that have not been here for the entire time. My bottom line for this whole thing is this. The Spirit-filled way is revealed when we say, let us pray. The Spirit-filled way is revealed when we say, let us pray. Okay, now, that's, this, this is going back to our previous series about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we were talking about the, the fact that if we're going to be led by Christ, you know, we're singing the song this morning, I'm not going back, I'm moving ahead, I'm, I'm moving forward, and he makes all things new. If we're going to move forward in the things of God, if we're going to move in his plans and in his purpose, it has to be led by the Spirit of God, amen? It can't just be random stuff. It's got to be the Word of God inside of us and the Spirit of God bringing that alive in us so that we can be led in the direction that we need to go. And so when we understand how, how are we going to become uh, led by the Spirit in greater and greater ways, that's going to come, first of all, through the Word of God, and then it's going to come through our prayer life. Very clearly from Genesis to, to the end of the book in Revelation, the, when, when, when someone needs direction from God, they're going to go to God, and they're going to talk to Him, and He talks back to them. Now, again, people go, oh, you think you hear from God. You're some kind of weirdo or something. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ and you are not hearing from God, then, then that's what makes you out of the ordinary when it comes to faith. It's not unusual to hear from God. Now, we're not always running around hearing the audible voice of God saying, Jonathan, go to Africa, right? Because some people are like, you know, I hear the voice of God 14 times a day. And when they say that, very often I question that. Because most of the time when God speaks to us, he's not going to speak through the audible voice. Can he do that? Sure he can. He's God. If he wants to, he can do whatever he wants to, right? He can, he can send an angel to stand. He can do all sorts of things. But most of the time when God is going to speak to us and lead us, it's going to come when we're in communion with the word of God, when we're, in, when we're, when our, we're having a, an effective prayer life, when our prayer life is a serious prayer life. We're not talking here about, you know, oh, Lord, bless my food, which we should do, or Lord, lay me down, lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. We're not talking about those kind of prayers. We're talking about real, intimate fellowship with God. And when we, we, were, when we began this, we talked about John 15, where, where Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, right? As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said that. So this prayer thing is about an abiding. It's about hanging out with God, which, by the way, he really wants to do with you. He wants to, he wants to be with you. He wants to talk to you, and he wants you to talk to him. Okay, and when we are in that kind of relationship with God, then he says, okay, here's the way I want you to go. Now go that way, and that's the place where you find your answered prayers. Because whenever you're walking with God, going down the path that he wants you to go in, that's when you're going to find answered prayers. Because God doesn't have a problem answering prayers that we pray that are according to what he wants anyway. The, the key to successful answered prayer is to pray, God, pray prayers that God already wants to answer. Right? The, the reason many times we don't see our prayers answered is because we're out here praying these, like, selfish prayers, these I want prayers, these God I think you should do kind of prayers, and then we go, why is God not answering my prayer? And it's because we're praying things that, that he doesn't really want. But when I understand, when I'm hanging out with him and he says, hey, Tom, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to see Coos County transformed for, for the kingdom of God, Right? 
Now you say, how, how can you say God wants to do that? Well, I can say that because his word says it is not God's will that any should perish. Oh, well, we know that not everybody's going to be saved. Well, that may be true, but that's not the will of God. Right? Because people are like, well, some people get saved, some people won't get saved. That's just the way it is. That's not the will of God. Well, you know, my son, my daughter, I don't know, I guess they're going to be lost. The, the homeless person out on the street, the, the rich doctor up on the hill, I guess they'll never be saved. That's not the will of God. And God is looking for someone to step up and say, God, we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God likes answering those prayers. He likes answering those prayers. So how do those things happen? Those things happen when we're in this communion and fellowship with him. Amen? And so last week we were talking about this. We started talking about this word. Well, I mean, several weeks ago we started talking about this word pagah. And, and uh, if you haven't been along for the whole journey here, pagah is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that means intercession. Okay? And so when you see this word intercession in the Old Testament, it's the word pagah in Hebrew. But the crazy thing about this word pagah that is intercession in the Old Testament is that 90% of the time when that word is used in the Old Testament, it's not related to intercession. And, and so it's used for all these different meanings throughout the Old Testament. And, and, the, and when you look at it, the, the interesting thing about it is when you look at all of these different meanings, even though they're not related necessarily to intercession, you find something in those, trans, those the way those words are translated that relates to intercession. Okay? And so we talked about how intercession in itself is not prayer. Because whenever we talk about intercession, we say, well, what does it mean to intercede? Well, it means I pray. Intercession is not prayer. Okay? No matter how you spin it, intercession is not prayer. Intercession in its purest form of what it means means that I go between. I go between. So when I intercede for somebody, it means they're here and God is here, and I step in between them and I begin to say, God. Now, intercession is not prayer, but it's something you do while you're praying. Okay? Because I'll step in and I'll say, okay, I, I, I know that there's a healing needed here. I know here that there's somebody lost here that needs Jesus, and they, don't, they, haven't, they haven't got to Jesus yet. And so I step in between them and God, and I say, God, I'm just coming to you right now on behalf of Jim Bob over here, and I'm just praying that you would move in his life. And I, I go in between them, which is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He went in between humanity and God that's why Isaiah 53, we're going to look at that in just a minute. It says that he, through his death, he made intercession. And so pagah means to go between, okay, to go in between. And then we started talking last week about the fact that pagah also doesn't only mean to go between, but it means that it's, there's a meeting that takes place. There's a meeting. So pagah means to go between. Pagah also means a meeting. Now, there's two different ways this meeting happens. Last week, we talked about the meeting when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And that was a meeting between him and the Father because he wasn't just declaring it is finished to the people that were standing around, although he was. He was declaring it is finished to his Father that the things that keep humanity from coming to you, Father, I have paid that bill, and now they can come into your presence. I've reconciled. Remember we used that, that, that scripture last week that said we've been reconciled to God through Christ. Because Jesus met the Father for us, and through that, we can go and we can meet the Father. But then the word of God says that that reconciliation ministry was passed on down to us because now we go and meet the Father on behalf of somebody else. So it's interesting that many of the things that Jesus did on the cross, he says, what, I do, what I've done on the cross, I want to pass that ministry down to you. Okay? But there's another meeting that takes place. And this one, um, I, I don't know why. I get a little bit excited about this one. Because uh, when I think about prayer, I don't think about, it's just me. And I realize not everybody's like that, and that's Okay. But when I think about prayer, I don't think of sitting in the dark room all the time, just quiet, 
you know, not saying a word, my eyes down. When I think of prayer, I think of warfare. When we go to prayer, we're going to war. Okay? I didn't get one amen on that, but it's still true. When we go to prayer, we go to war. Okay, it's not, just, it's not just a little, again, like I said, it's not just a little, oh, Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. There's nothing wrong with that, those kind of prayers. But when we're talking about intercession, when we're talking about being intercessors, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, and there is a spiritual war. I know there's a lot of believers that are like, well, you know, Jesus fought the war on the cross, which is true. He fought the war on the cross. Now we don't have to fight a war anymore because Jesus fought that war for us. Okay, well, if that's true, then why, did, why Ephesians 6? Why put on the armor of God? Why Corinthians? For the weapons of our what? Warfare. Our, whose warfare? Our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Our warfare. We, we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle every day. We're in a spiritual battle right now for the soul of our country. We're in a spiritual battle for the soul of our county. We're in a spiritual battle for people's lives. We're in a spiritual battle for Pastor Larry right now. We're in a spiritual battle for some of you in this room right now that need a healing in your body. They have family members in your family that need a healing in their body. This is war, and war is ugly. Sometimes prayer is not this kind little, oh, sometimes prayer is warfare. And we see this pictured in the Old Testament in this word, pagah. And so if you happen to be in your notes, if you don't have notes, I think Ann's got some running around here somewhere. You can get them. Just raise your hand so you can get them to you. If you're in your notes, point number one is this, a violent confrontation. A violent confrontation. Now, uh, I just need to let you know this message is going to get a little bit bloody and a little bit brutal today. But I want you to know I'm only preaching the word of God to you. Okay, so I want to start with this. In 1 Kings chapter 1, I want to read a verse to you here, but I can't read it to you until I give you a little bit of context. So everybody say quick context. Okay, in 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2, King David is coming to the end of his life. He's about to die. 1 Kings chapter 1 starts with he's, he's, he's kind of old and frail. He's in his bed, and Abishag is, is a, a, a young lady that they come. They say, come over here, and, and you're going to take care of King David. And then... Uh, uh, while Abishag is over here, uh, this is my paraphrase, while Abishag is over here taking care of King David, uh, Adonijah, who is one of King David's sons, he decides he's going to be the king. And so he, he takes some of the priests and some of the warriors. He takes David's main military guy, Joab, with him, and he takes some of the priests and, and, and some of the folks, and they go over, and he, he declares that he's the king. And so they're over having this big party over here. Well, over here, the the the, the prophet goes to Bathsheba and says, hey, uh, Adonijah has set himself up as king, and, and didn't King David say that Solomon was going to be the king? And so he hatches this plan, and he says, what you need to do, Bathsheba, is go to the king, say, hey, I thought Solomon was going to be, be king, and while you're talking to him, I'll come in, and I'll say, hey, I thought Solomon was going to be the king, and we're going to make sure this thing works out the way that it needs to work out. Okay? So in the meantime, uh, Adonage is over here having a party, and he's the king, and they're declaring him, and they're doing all the stuff. So, so Bathsheba goes to King David and says, hey, what's the deal? I thought it was going to be Solomon. Then, then uh, Nathan the prophet comes in and says, hey, I thought it was going to be, and David says, it will be. So go get my donkey, take Solomon, put him on it, go out, blow the horns, do the whole thing. We're going to set up uh, King Solomon on the throne. So he does that. I know I'm taking a little bit on this, but just go with me because I got I to gotta get you somewhere, okay? So King Solomon is set up on the throne. Adonijah hears about it. All the people that are partying with him, they all run off. And Adonijah runs to the, to the altar, and he takes a hold of the altar because he knows Solomon's going to kill him. And then, and then Solomon hears about that, and Solomon says, look, if you do the right thing, I'll just leave you alone. I'm not going to kill you, but if you'll do the right thing, I'll leave you alone. So he goes his way. So then Solomon comes to King David. And King David's given him his final instructions. I know I'm, I'm taking a long time on this, but just go with me. King David's given him his final instructions. He says, you know, here are these people over here, and they've been good to me, and you need to bless them. And, and here are these people over here, and they've not been good to me, and you know, you know what needs to happen to them. 
Okay, now this is the Bible. This is where it gets kind of, eh. This is where it gets Jesus not floating on a cloud in a white robe with, with the, the halo above his head. Because King David basically says to Solomon, you remember uh, Joab, who was my military guy, but every time I turn around, he was doing something I didn't want him to do. And then now he's not only done that, but he's defected over, and he's with Adonijah, who I did not set up as king, and he's over there with him. Solomon, you know it needs to be done. Okay? Right? And then he says, and then there's this other dude named Shimei. Now, Semi was one of, one of King Saul's descendants. And when Absalom rebelled against David, Semi is the one up there going, you, you're a loser. Get out of here. You're never going to be the king. But David didn't kill him. And David says to Solomon, remember Semi? You know what needs to happen. And so here's what happens. David, or Solomon says to Benaiah, who is one of his military leaders, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to get rid of Adonijah. And it goes there, and that's where we come here to, to 1 Kings 2.25, okay? It says this, so King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and this is, this is going to Adonijah, and it says, and he struck him down, and he died. Now, I want you to know when he struck him down, it means he struck him with a sword, which, which if you look scripturally speaking, probably means that he, he, he either chopped his head off or he hacked him up. You know, the Bible is just boring. No, actually, they're, they're hacking people up with swords. And it says, it says that he goes to Adonijah and he struck him down. And then, and then what follows in there from 1 Kings 2, verse 25 to 46, is you see a series of people, Adonijah first, and then Joab is struck down, and then Shimei is struck down. And every time in that passage, when you see the word strike or struck, it's the word pagah. Now, you, you say, I thought pagah meant intercession. It does mean intercession. But do you know what it also means? It means to strike down in a violent and brutal manner. This word pagah is used of impaling people. This word pagah is used of chopping people's heads off. This word pagah is used of running a sword through and, and ripping their guts open and spilling them out on the ground. I know we don't want to hear this. I understand it's not cool and it's not quaint and it's not a nice little Sunday morning service. But I need to get you somewhere this morning. This kind of pagah is a violent brutality. And so we have to understand, when it comes to our intercession and our prayer, we are in a spiritual war that is life and death. And someone's going to be struck down in the midst of it. Now, am I talking about physically? Not, not generally. But spiritually speaking, there is a brutal battle that is going on when we go into intercession. When we're praying, we have to understand that there, there's something happening. Because very often when we pray, we're praying and we don't think anything's happening. I'm praying and my words are hitting the walls and hitting the ceiling and they're just bouncing back and nothing is happening. But you have to understand when you are praying, there is a violent brutality going on in the spirit world around us. There's a war being waged. Good against evil. Now, 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 I want you to know from the outset that there is no question who's going to win the battle. Because in reality, the battle is already done. So we have to understand the context of our war. Okay? The context of our war. Now, this word pagah that I want to give to you, the, 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 the focus this morning is the word, this word struck. And uh, I, I, think, I think we have that there. Uh, it means to encounter to meet, to reach, to entreat, or to make intercession. But watch this. It means to encounter or fall upon of hostility or to make an attack. So this is a meeting for war. You'll see often in the Old Testament, now I could take you through a bunch of verses and show you where this is. I trust you to go do your own studying. But if you roll through the Old Testament, you'll find many times this word pagah pops up. It's somebody meeting somebody on a battlefield. 
fact, that's literally what it means. They went out, the Israelites went out and they met the Edomites. They went out and they met the Moabites. They went out and they met the Assyrians. And when you see that word met, it's the word pagab, but the, the, the connotation of that word is that there was a violent meeting that was going on. It was a striking that was, it was not just a meeting for, for Starbucks. Have a cup of coffee and discuss how the day's going. There are swords and there are spears and there are bow and arrows and there, there are catapults and there is, there is violence happening in the midst of this thing. So if you happen to be in your notes, write this. There's an aspect of Pagah that speaks to a violent attack on opposing forces in order to utterly destroy them. Okay? Now, I know this doesn't fit our, our little Western church mindset of what prayer and praise and worship is about, but we have to know what's really happening. So that brings us to point number two. Jesus meets Satan. Jesus meets Satan. There is a war meeting that is happening. And Jesus met with Satan. Now, before I want to get to that little piece, I want to go back to Genesis. In Adam and Eve, there's something happened with Adam and Eve. When God created the world, the fish, the birds, the air, the sky, the moon, the stars, all that kind of stuff, God created all of that, and then he created Adam, and he set him in the midst of all of that. Amen? Right? And then he created Eve to be a helpmate, to be, be, be the sidekick. And he says to Adam and Eve, I want you to do what? To, to, to what? What position did God put Adam and Eve in in relationship to the earth? What, what? Ruler dominion. He says, I want you to rule over this. I want you to have dominion over this. In other words, I want you to have authority over all of this. Amen? I'm preaching okay so far. Okay? No heresy so far, right? He says, I want to give you dominion. You have authority over all of this. Now, now then Satan comes into the garden, and you'll notice that Satan did not come in there and try to strike them down with a sword. Right? He didn't come in there and try to put some hocus pocus on him and, and, and you know, turn him into a rock or something. Whoever just said he used his words is right on. He used his words and he came in because Satan was not trying to take power from Adam and Eve. Okay? This is important to understand. He was not trying to take power from them, matching them power for power. Because if, he, if they were to, oh, man, I hope we grab this this morning. If they were matching power to power with Adam and Eve, Satan could have just came in there and just wiped them out and been done with it. Power to power. But he was not fishing for their power. He was fishing for their authority. He was not fishing for power. He was fishing for authority. Now, here's the thing that, that uh, for many people, hinders them in their prayer life. It hinders them in their prayer life. You know, a lot of times when we talk about casting out devils, there, there's, a, there's a book I, I, I was talking to Jake about. He went and ordered it. There's this book by a guy named Neil Anderson. What I love about this book, it's called The Bondage Breaker. It's talking about being, being freed, set free from demonic attacks, and, and, and if someone happens to be uh, possessed or anything like that, that this is, this is how you get free. And what I love about that book is he does not say, you get the person and you yell at the devil and you, you, you throw holy water on him and you hit him over the head with a Bible and, and, and you have this long conversation understanding who they are and what their, what their lineage is and where they came from. He says the real key to all of this is to have a truth encounter. So it's not about, now listen to me. I'm going to do this as fast as I can today, but I, I need to get this out, all right? So he says, really, the key to being free is not in having a power encounter with the devil. It's in having a truth encounter. So when you, when you meet the devil with the word of God, he cannot fight against that because the word of God carries the authority of God. Satan is not after power he ultimately is, but he's after authority because his power comes from the authority. Now, in your life, because I've known Chris, I've been, I've been in a Pentecostal church a long time, and I love Pentecostals, I love charismatics, I'm born and bred, unashamed, but we got some people with some jacked up theology among our midst. 
And I've heard, I heard for a lot of times in my life, well, the devil, he's got no power. He's just a toothless lion and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's got no power to do anything. And then I'm, I'm growing up in the midst of that. And I'm looking around at the world and I'm going, hmm. If this is not, if this is not what, if this is not Satan's doing, then I guess it has to be God's doing. That doesn't seem to make sense. If Satan has no power, then why abortion? If Satan has no power, why coronavirus? If Satan has no power, why the division in our country? Why the racism? Why the hatred? Why, why all of this if Satan has no power? He's got lots of power. He's got more power than you. Now listen to me. People go, well, I've got God inside me. You're wrong, Pastor. Listen, no, I'm not wrong. Because absent God's power inside of you, you will be run over by the devil every time. You have nothing to withstand him if not for God. Okay? But what I want you to understand this morning is that power is not the question. In fact, a couple things in your notes, okay? The defining issue of spiritual warfare has never been a question of power. It is a question of authority. Okay? I only got two amens on that, so I'm going to say it again. The defining issue of spiritual warfare has never been a question of power. It is a question of authority. Satan still has, he had, and he still has great power, but the fact of the matter is his power is no match for the authority that you have access to. We're praying and saying, oh, God, give us more power, more power, more power. Mm. Here's another one of them deals where I'm going to get myself in trouble. Oh, God, give us more power. Stop it. There's no more power that you have access to. There's no more. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Does it not say that? Then if I get the Holy Spirit, if I get filled with the Holy Spirit, I have the power of God, right? Do I not have access to all the power of God that is available to me? Did when, when, when Doug got baptized in the Holy Spirit, he got 50% power. And then Joyce got filled with the Holy Spirit, and she got 40% power. And then Ed got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he got 25. And Becky got over here, she just got 10. Is that how it works? You will receive power when the whole, there is no more power of God for you to have access to than he has already given us through his Holy Spirit. Someone's going to get this today, if even only one. There's no more power that, that we need. We have all the power. The problem is not power. The problem is authority. When Satan went to the garden with Adam and Eve, he tricked them by his, the way he deceived them into giving their authority to him. Now, again, there's arguing, well, I don't think Satan ever had authority. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you a question then. I'm a simple man. I realize that. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, it says the devil, this is Jesus in the wilderness being tempted. Jesus said, the devil, excuse me, the devil said to him, all authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Satan said to Jesus, I will give you authority if you'll worship me because I can give it to anybody I want. Now, some people will say, well, he's a liar. He's just lying because he's a liar. But what I notice is that Jesus did not dispute his claim. Jesus did not dispute the claim that Satan had power. Now, I, I got to give you a little, a little bit of Greek here because, right, okay, there's two words. There's really three, but I only need to talk about two of them. There's, there's a third word, which is energia, that you should go study elsewhere that can be translated as works, workings or power. But don't worry about that one today. There's two words. One of them is dunamis. One of them is exousia. Okay? Dunamis power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That is the word dunamis. And dunamis is a word that means, um, that means like dynamite power. Boom. Miracle working power, boom. The power to live a moral life, okay? 
Exousia, on the other hand, is not strict power, it's authority. Now, many of you have heard me say this many times because it's what I always use as an analogy when I'm talking about these two particular words. You, there, there, there's a, there's a, a policeman out here. He's got two forms of power. He has a gun, which is dunamis, and he has a badge, which is exousia. Okay? There's an authority with the badge. So when, you, when they walk in, the badge gives them exousia, authority. The gun would give them dunamis. Now they could just pull it out and shoot anybody they want to because they've got the power. But what happens if you use the power without the authority? You're going to get in trouble. That, if, you, if you've watched the news at all in the last years, you've seen some of this. Right? The question of how is power being used in relationship to authority? Now, I hope this makes sense to you. So what I want you to notice is that when, when, when Satan came to Jesus, he was not going after his dunamis. He was going after his exousia. Now, I just want to point this out. Uh, in, in certain translations of the Bible, the King James, for instance, they'll, they'll use those two words interchangeably and just say power. Like Matthew 28, 18, it says, in like New King James, it says, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said. In the King James, it will say all power. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the King James. It's just that you have to understand there's two different words that are going on. One of them means like, boom, power, and one of them is an authority to act. And Satan is always after authority. He has power, but he cannot act without authority. Is he going to try? You better believe he is. But he's always going to go after authority. So what happened on the cross? Okay, what happened on the cross? So for a period of time, Satan seemed to, scripturally speaking, have the dunamis, the power, and the authority. Because Jesus did not question him when he said, I'll give it to you. All right? But let's jump back to Isaiah 53. Now, I, I may have lost you there for a second, but just hold on. Bookmark this, and we're going to get around to where we're going. In Isaiah 53, we've been, we've been bouncing off this verse several times. It says, verse 12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. This is talking about Jesus. Because he poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. <clears throat> Excuse me. Intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. So that word intercession there is pagah. And Jesus made intercession. Now tracking back to your previous message, you will remember that the intercession that Jesus made was not a prayer that he prayed, but a position that he took. Okay? When, when Jesus is interceding for us, it doesn't mean that he's up there praying for us all the time. Although he is talking to the Father on our behalf. It means that he is going between us. He took a position. So when Jesus went to the cross in relationship to this war that we see being fought, when Jesus went to the cross, that was the ultimate bloody, brutal battle fought between good and evil. It was a defining battle. You guys still with me? When Jesus went to the cross, in fact, this is in your notes, the defining, excuse me, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, it was not the unfortunate death of an innocent rabbi, which many people will say. It was the deciding battle in the war between God and Satan. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when Satan took the authority from Adam and Eve. And God came to Satan and, and uh, Adam and Eve, and he, while they're there, he talking to Satan. He says, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. That's brutal. If you, if you well, I got to say it. If you're just walking out and there's an animal laying out there on the ground and you just walk over and you just stomp that head. I know we don't want to hear this, but I'm trying, I need to paint a picture here today. I feel it's important. If you just walk over and you start stomping that thing, it's not pretty. Right? In Genesis 3, God says to Satan, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. 
When did that happen? That happened on the cross. Because at the cross, Satan struck at Jesus with, with the, the most, in, the, the biggest battle plan that he ever had. This is it. All of history, Satan has been running up to this one battle, and he says, if I can kill him, I can win this battle. And the battle turned bloody very quickly. They beat him. They, they struck him. They pulled out his beard. They beat him over the head. They crowned a thorn, stuck him in the side, nailed him to a cross, whipped him until his bones are sticking out. Satan struck him. That was the defining battle. But watch this if you're in your notes. But in Christ's resurrection, a blow was struck against the enemy that resulted in a restoration of earthly authority to its rightful heir, the victorious Lamb of God. Satan struck Jesus. Came out of the tomb, he stomped on his head. what I just said. When Jesus went to the cross, Satan, Satan bit at his heel, but when Jesus came out of the tomb, Jesus stomped on his head. The battle is over. The battle was over the moment Jesus came out of the cross, out of the tomb, excuse me. The battle was over. Everybody say it was over. Everybody say it is finished. Tetelestai. You get gold stars for the day. The battle was done. Satan's head has been stomped on. His authority is removed. His authority goes to Jesus. That's why Jesus in Matthew 28, when Jesus comes to his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why did Jesus need to say that? Why did he need to say that to his disciples? Because I think they had an understanding of what had been going on. And when he comes to his disciples, after he came out of the tomb, he says, all authority has now been restored to me. Now you go out and make disciples of all the nations. What do we infer from that? Jesus said, I took the authority back from the enemy. I stomped his head. I want you to go out and I want you to take this message to the entire world. So much so that a couple thousand years later, here we are sitting in Coos Bay, Oregon, talking about seeing a county transformed because Jesus stomped on Satan's head 2,000 years ago. Took his authority. Took the keys. Death, hell. Those are mine. Thank you. Amen. In fact, as Jesus made clear throughout his ministry, the entire purpose of his coming was for that reason. I, I love this verse in 1 John 3, verse 8. It says this. You guys all right so far? 1 John 3, 8 says, for, the for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's good. I'm going to read it again just because I like it. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, this word destroy is the word luo. Everybody say luo. It's not, it's not a Hawaiian pig roast. It's a destruction. Luo. It says, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested, that he might luo the works of the devil. So that word means this. It means to loose to loosen, undo, dissolve. We got that up here, right? Loosen anything bound, tied, compacted together to do away with. Watch this. To deprive of authority. Someone in this room is going to grab what I'm saying here this morning, and you're going to go out and do great exploits for God. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might de deprive Satan of his authority to work. Anybody? Let me say that again. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might deprive Satan of his authority to work. Everybody say authority. In your notes, Jesus did not take away Satan's power to operate, but his authority to operate. It's the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to take Satan's authority away from him. Now, Satan is still very powerful. 
He's still very powerful with the dunamis. And he's going to use all of his dunamis to get you to give him your exousia. He's going to afflict you. He's going to lie to you. He's going to, he's going to strike out at you. He's going to cause people to talk about you. He's going to bring, bring things to your life. All of his power will come against you. But you need to understand that his only purpose in coming against you in power is to take your authority. And if you will just choose to say, I will not relent my authority to you, then you diminish his power to work in your life. I'm saying something good this morning, church. When he comes at you with power and hits you and hits you and hits you, he's going to try to get you to give up because you know what happens if you give up? He snatches your authority. If you need healing in your body, he's going to come and lie to you and say, oh, God's never going to touch you. He's not going to be with you. Even if you die, he's not going to be with you. Oh, man, I am in despair. Because when you go to despair, he takes your authority. When you give up your hope, he takes your authority. When you stop praying, he's already taken your authority. He doesn't need to come and snatch something from you if you're not going to use it. If he can't steal your authority, he's going to just try to make sure that you don't use it. All right, anybody? That's why he loves a prayerless church. I'm going to take a drink on that one. Satan is not afraid of the church. As long as they're not praying. You got a prayerless church that's not in the word of God, but they sure do gather together on Sunday morning and sing a song. He'll come and sit on the front row and lift his hands with you. Satan does not fear a prayerless, wordless, spiritless church. Because you're sitting in a chair today does not mean that you are, uh, you are a danger to the enemy. You're only a danger to him when you begin to use the authority that Jesus took back when he died and he rose again on the, on the cross in the tomb. <clears throat> I got to move on. Last point, we're going to pray. The believer meets the enemy. Now, I want to say something that sounds like a kind of like it couldn't be, right? It's a paradox. There's a war that has been fought and won decisively. However, it's a war that has to be fought every day. There's a war that has been fought and won decisively, but it's the same war has to be fought every day. This is where the believer meets the enemy. In Matthew 16, 13, I wasn't going to read this, but I want to read it to you. You guys all right? We're coming in for a landing in just a minute, so hang with me. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ, because it wasn't time yet. Now watch this. There's something interesting in there. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Now there's some misinterpretation in this verse. Because people, people of entire groups of believers have taken that and said the church was built on Peter. Because he says, you are Peter, and on, on this rock I will build my church. And they wrongly put the focus on Peter. But Peter, it wasn't about Peter. It was about his confession. Anybody? It wasn't about Peter. It was about what Peter said. The, if, if, I don't have time today because it's getting late. But if you go and study that, when he talks about rock and Peter and all that, it's not even the same word. 
One means a big rock and one means a little pebble. He says, on, my, on this rock, it's a big boulder, I'll build my church. But when he says Peter, Peter means a little pebble. He's not saying, on you, Peter, I will build my church. He says, on the confession that you have made of who I am, who I am, who I am, Jesus said, I will build my church. Why did the confession, why did the church have to be built on who he was? Because he's the one that's going to take the authority. I know we're getting late here, but don't lose this. Don't, do not miss this because you're tired and want to go get a ham sandwich for lunch. He says on your confession of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Will not. Cannot. Has not ever and never will in the future prevail against who Christ is. So you say, what does that have to do with us? Oh, man, you have no idea. Because he says, on this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But look what he says in verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I didn't get one amen because nobody, no one's even thinking about it because we're thinking about the ham sandwich after church. Jesus just said, to those who will confess who I am, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Have we heard it too many times that it's lost its power? He goes on, he says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever. Everybody say whatever. Do you know what whatever means in Greek? It means whatever. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who's doing the binding and the loosing? Who? We are. Under whose authority? Who's doing the binding? Under whose authority? One more time. Who's doing the binding? Who's doing the loosing? Under whose authority? I'll give you these keys. Now, interestingly, if you remember back to verse John 3, verse 8, it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I said that, right? And that word destroy was the word luo, right? When you read Mark's, excuse me, Matthew 16, 19, when it says whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, I'm going to give you one guess at what the word loosed is. Luo. I'm going to let you chew on that just for one second. The word for destroy, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, is the same word that Jesus said, I will, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and you will loose on earth whatever you want to loose on earth. Everybody say, the key is with me. If you're in your notes, it's important to recognize that prayer and intercession is not a matter of winning a war against evil. It's a matter of enforcing a victory that is already won. When Jesus came out of that tomb, he stomped on the devil's head. The war was over. Now, you might say I'm reading a little bit too much into this, and maybe I am. But when Jesus went to the cross, it was bloody and brutal and awful. And when Jesus died, what happened? The earth shook. It went dark. The, the, the veil was ripped in the temple. Everybody's freaking out. Nobody's knowing what to do. What happened when Jesus came out of the tomb? The whole earth shook. The stone rolled away. Bodies are coming up out of the tomb. This is pretty intense. This was a war. The war fought over a three-day period. 
Jesus said, I won the war. Now here's the keys to the kingdom. Now I want you to go out and do out there what I have given you the authority to do. Now you say, what does that have to do with intercession? Everything. Because when I'm interceding before God, I've got the keys to the kingdom. So when I'm praying, God, I want to see a county transformed and the enemy's barking in your ear. That can never happen. There's too many drugs here. There's too much poverty here. There's too much homelessness here. There's too many rich people up on the hill over there or over there that think they don't need God. There's too much battle here. It's always been like this in this area. It's always going to be like this in this area. When we say, no, I don't think so. I think I'm going to go ahead and bind that and I'm going to lose the kingdom of God. I think I'd like to pray and say, God, I think I'd like to lose salvation all over Coos County. Now, some of you are still struggling with this because you don't think we can carry that kind of authority. If you don't believe me, just go look at the book. I, don't believe me. I don't care because I don't matter. This is what matters. He says, I will, those who confess who I am, I will build my church on those people and they will bind whatever they bind and loose whatever they lose. Now, that doesn't mean we can go out and just do whatever we want to do because we're operating in kingdom power and kingdom authority. So when we're coming, we, when we pray, we, we pray, oh, geez, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's like, oh, our Father art in heaven and hallowed be thy kingdom come. Listen, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, you don't want anybody going to hell because your word clearly says it is not your desire that any would perish. We pray for healing because Jesus is a healer. What if I pray and they don't get healed? Stop listening to the devil because you can't heal anybody anyway. You're going with the authority of God and his power coming through you. I can't heal anyone. You can't heal anyone. But we have authority to pray the prayer and say, God, we ask you to do this because you are Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals us. And you know what happens when you do that? You're taking the word of God, and the enemy's going, bloop, 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 and you take your sword and go, shapow. I don't think I need you anymore. Shapoom. I think I'm sick and tired of, of, of not the homeless people, but the homeless problem. I think I'm tired of that. I think maybe we should start declaring that God's going to do something about that. I'm tired of this county being known as the methamphetamine place in the state. What the heck are we doing being the methamphetamine? We're just a little podunk place. What in the world are we doing being known for that? You, the keys of the kingdom are in our hands, church. Now, I don't want that to be misconstrued that we can go out and pray for a new car and a new house. I'm talking about operating in kingdom, in kingdom ministry. There is nothing that is impossible to you, to me, to this church. There's nothing in this community. If it's the will of God in the scripture, we can bind what is not and we can loose what is. We should be up running around the building right now. Here's, here's the problem and here's where I'm going to finish. As I think very often, we still think we're fighting a battle that has not yet been won. So we give up in the midst. We give up because we say, well, I, I gave it my best shot. I gave it my best shot, but the devil won. The devil's just been attacking me, attacking me, attacking me. Well, no, duh. You're a threat to him. Did you hear me? Wake up! You're a threat to him. And he wants you to just sit and be, oh, no, oh, I did my church thing. I did my go home thing. I, I did my Bible thing. Listen, we are a threat to the kingdom of God if we will walk in the authority that he has given us. And if we don't walk in that authority, if we don't walk in that authority, then what are we saying about him going to the cross for us? He's placed the authority in your hands. 
not for you to do whatever you want to do with, but for you to go out and be an ambassador for his kingdom. In your notes, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Now, I know that's something that we say a lot in this church, and I'm just going to keep on saying it and saying it and saying it. Because we have to understand the battle was already won 2,000 years ago. We're here to enforce it. We're here to enforce it. We're going we're, we're gonna to get later in a week or two, we're going to get to another message about boundaries, setting boundaries. We set the boundaries here, church. You set the boundaries. You set the boundaries. Well, the devil's coming. Oh. Devil's coming after my family. I'm going to lose them. Is that right? Is that right? You're going to sit by and let the devil have your family. I don't think so. I think if you just rise up and start binding the enemy in their life and start loosening the spirit of God in their life, maybe they'll just start coming around. Is it going to happen today? I don't know. Tomorrow? I don't know. Next month? I don't know. Ten years from now? I don't know. But what I know is we're giving ourselves over to an enemy who is already lost. Church, we got to stand up. We got to intercede. We got to fight. We got to get some backbone about us. Well, this country, by golly, this country has just gone to hell in a handbasket. Oh, yeah, well, okay, well, that's because the church probably quit praying. Well, Joe Biden's in there. I guess we'll just ride it out and hope we don't all die in a ditch somewhere. Okay. Good, church. Pretty sure that's God's attitude. Maybe we have the power to flip it. But we have to fight. We have to enforce the authority. So when the enemy comes wandering into territory that he does not belong into, then we walk up and we say, no, I don't think so. I don't think you belong here. So you just go ahead and go. I think half the problem is we don't think that we really can do this stuff, church, but we really can do this stuff. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says that's the whole purpose for Jesus coming. It's the whole purpose was to destroy the works of the enemy. And then you put the keys in Jonathan's hand. You put the keys in Jake's hand, in April's hand. Say, here are the keys, April. Go do it. Take your family. Take your school. Take your city. Take your church. Let's pray this morning. Father, I want to come to you this morning. Lord, I know I got intense there for a second, but I'm intense for a purpose because I know that the enemy has been stealing authority all over the place. He comes in, he lies, he deceives, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. He lies, he deceives, he tricks, he manipulates, and he causes an authority that you gave your very life for. He causes us to just hand that over to him, hand our families over to him, hand our church, our city, our community, hand our country over to him. Hand our health over to him. But, Lord, today we say no more. Thus far and no more. Lord, because I believe that you're raising up an army. That we talk about those dry bones are coming together as a mighty army that will stand up with a backbone, that will stand up with the authority, that the backbone is the authority of God. God, and we will enforce your victory, Lord Jesus, in our family, in our community, in our own lives. Lord, we do not have to be victims of our past addictions. We do not have to be victims of our brokenness. We don't have to be victims of what Satan has done in, in and around us, Father God, that we are victors in you, that we fight from a place of victory, that we are never, ever fighting for a victory, Lord, because you sealed the victory when you came out of the tomb. You declared it when you said it is finished. So, Father, you, you've been raising up a, a powerful prayer ministry in this church over the last months. Even those who would never be known or never be identified as intercessors are rising up. And I pray that you would continue to cause us to rise up in your power, your authority. Lord, because you said... All authority was given to you, and you told us to go in your authority. And in Acts 1.8, you said we will receive power, which is the dunamis. So the, the, the authority and the dunamis power is in our court now. It's not in the enemy's court. So, Father, God, I pray for a shifting of our mindset. 
that you would shift our mindset to believe you to do the signs and the wonders and the miracles that your word says that you will do because that's who you are. You didn't stop being who you were at some point in history. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You were a healer then. You I pray that you would do that in us. Lord, you're raising up. You're raising up that army. I pray even right now before we, before we say amen, God, even right now that you would begin to stir in the hearts of these people that are here today, those that are watching online, that you begin to stir in their hearts, Father God, that you would begin to stir the spirit of God and the authority of God, the power of God, would just begin to stir up, Father God. I pray that a righteous anger, righteous anger is, is okay when we're talking about spiritual warfare. Because the enemy wants to kill my sons and my daughters, our sons and our daughters. The enemy's coming after our grandkids with a ruthless aggression. He wants to destroy our families, destroy our city. Father, God, I pray that a righteous anger would rise up in us. That we would be a church that says we will not stand for it. I thank you for that today because I know that that's what you're doing. I know that's what you're doing, and I pray you would continue. I pray you continue to lead us. Let us pray that you would let spiritual warriors rise up. I thank you for that today, Lord. Fathers, as we're wrapping this particular service for right now, Lord, I pray for everyone that's here, everyone that's listening, Lord, that you bless them and keep them, cause your face to shine on them, you lift up your countenance upon them, be gracious to them, give them peace this week. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. I love you.